Appreciate what uh, our, our band does every Sunday. Amen. Yes. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Oh, absolutely. Good morning. I didn't know some of you were going to be able to cross the rivers to get here this morning. I'm glad you made it. How about, you, how about this amazing rain we've had? Yeah. That may not mean something for a lot of people, but when you live in this part of the country, rain is a blessing every single time. Amen. Amen. So... God is good. So glad that you're here this morning. Um, if you would, would you uh, bow your heads and we'll go to the Lord in prayer as we get ready to dive into the Word this morning together. Father, we want to thank you, God, for the rain that you have sent, God, and we recognize that, like your Word says, every good gift comes from the Father. And uh, Lord, this rain is a gift, and we thank you for that today. I want to thank you for everyone that is here this morning. God, for those that are listening or watching, God, we thank you for every person. And uh, Lord, I pray today, God, that they came prepared and that they're ready, that they're anxious, and they're excited as we, as a body of believers, Lord, as brothers and sisters in Christ, simply open your word today and allow you to teach us, God, from your word. God, we thank you so much for this incredible salvation, this free gift given to mankind through your grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, that it's, it's available to anyone and everyone. And Father, we thank you for that today. And we rejoice in the fact that for many of us here, we know you, Christ. And more importantly, we're in Christ and you know us, God. And we thank you, God, that that will always be the case for us in this salvation. We love you today. Uh, Lord, as there is this morning, I know many needs probably in this place. God, each and every one their own having life they're living, needing things, God, I pray that you would meet every need we have according to your riches and glory, and that, God, you would help each and every one of us this morning in the areas of life that we need your help and strength today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're so glad that you're here this morning. I do want to give one quick announcement since I was probably still outside when the announcements were given. Um, I don't know if they mentioned the lake baptism is next Sunday. You all looking at me like that's a new gate? We haven't seen it before. Um, we have lots of folks that are going to be baptized um, at the lake. And so next Sunday evening at 5 o'clock, we're going to do things a little different this year. And we're going to be meeting at the Yacht Club, uh, Sailing Club. Um, no, I am not a sailor. Um, but uh, they do have a concrete ramp there. And I think it will make it accessible for everyone, um, especially uh, you young guys, some of you that want to tackle me and do some of that stuff, it gives me better footing. And so uh, next Sunday at 5 o'clock in the evening, we're going to celebrate and rejoice as we are privileged to baptize for many their testimony of what Christ has done in their life. So you're all invited. If you uh, would like to be a part of that baptism and you're ready to make the proclamation uh, to everyone else about what Christ has done in your life through testimony by baptism, then please call our office this week and Miss Tracy will, will get you on the list and you'll be contacted um, by someone this week to visit with you about that. So that's the only announcement that I really have. So let's get into the Word of God today. I hope you brought your Bibles and you're excited as I am this morning to be here. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Revelation. Diane, don't panic. <laughs> Revelation chapter 19. We will be in Daniel chapter 2 shortly, but right now we're going to be in Revelation chapter 19. Um, 
I'm told that I go way too fast, and I do because I speak, I talk fast, and uh, I apologize for that, so I will do my best to slow down and allow you to find some of these scriptures. But I would say this, if I don't talk slower, just write faster, okay? Uh, maybe that will help you a little bit. So if you, if you can't get there quick enough, and some people say, well, John, I just can't get there fast enough because maybe I don't really, I'm a new believer and I'm, I don't really know my way around here. You know, it's no different than a cowboy going to a new ranch and trying to figure out where the pastures are. It takes time, okay? It takes time being there. It takes time riding through that country to understand it and know it. So don't feel bad. Nobody's going to worry about whether you're in Job or Job. We're okay, all right? It is absolutely fine. And no one, no one is concerned about that. We are just glad you're here and that you're willing to open the Word of God up today where truth is found. And so, yeah, just bring your Bibles with you. Uh, it will be a great help to you as we study through this. Remember, we're talking about the King is coming. And although there are opinions uh, among Christians about um, the last day events as time moves that direction um, everyone in evangelical Christianity is in complete agreement about the fact that Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, is coming back one day again, and he will restore and bring his literal, physical kingdom here upon the earth. And so that is what we are going to be studying as we move through this series on the King is Coming. And I think it's important to be reminded of this from time to time for your encouragement and uh, I know it encourages me as I think about the fact that Jesus is coming again one day. He promised that he would, and he will. So we're going to look at uh, Revelation chapter 19. We're nearing the very end of uh, the revelation of Christ. And he's sharing with us some things about what will happen in the future. And we're not in the book of Revelation studying it per se today, but I want to share this with you. In verse 11 as we come to the climax after uh, all of the tribulation and, the, and the, the, the scrolls of judgment being opened and poured out upon the earth, the vials, the trumpets, and all the, the wrath of God that's being poured out on uh, a rebellious and obstinate humanity that has rejected him, um, we now come here to Revelation chapter 19, and this is what it says in verse 11. It's something that I want to share with you about the king being on his way one day. I saw heaven, John says, standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of the kings, generals, mighty men, horses, and their riders and the flesh of all people, free, slave, great, and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth 
and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. And with these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped the image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. See, the truth is the king of kings is coming again. And although this is not something that we look at and, we, and we, we have a pompous smile on our face, in fact, as we read this, we do grieve to an extent to think about the humanity alive on the earth that is going to receive the outpouring judgment of God. It doesn't make us happy to see that. In fact, it breaks our hearts to see that there will be so many who will have rejected Jesus Christ and the gospel of his salvation And that we know that the armies of God, the Bible tells us there in in the book of Thessalonians, that we are going to come with Christ when he comes again for those who have died, those who have fallen asleep in Christ. We are coming with him as he comes back now to make final war against the beast, the false prophet, and all those armies gathered to fight against God. And it's coming one day. And we're moving that way as we look at a globalistic society, as we look at a globalistic world, as we look at the culmination of things that are coming together in our day. It's pretty incredible to watch as we see the day approaching. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. If you want to just flip over there, just, just a few pages back, really. It's not far. I'll talk slower. 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm doing that so you can find it, and I won't just rush through it real quick. Yes, like I have a tendency often to do. Second Peter chapter 3. I want to read this to you because Peter warned that there would be those who would scoff the fact that God was long in returning as he had promised. And we know that to be the case today. I've been approached by people as they've come and talked to me and said, well, John, where is this return of your king? Where is this Jesus that the Bible says is going to come back one day? And this is what Peter writes here. He says, dear friends, starting in verse 1, follow along. This is now my second letter to you, and I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Peter says, I want you to be thinking correctly here. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through the apostles. First of all, Peter says, you must understand that in the last days, now we've been in the last days since Christ. We know that to be the case. That in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of all creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. And he's speaking about what? The flood. They were going on and living life just as though God would never judge. 
And although Noah was preaching and proclaiming the fact that there was a judgment coming upon humanity, every single one of them went their own way. And as Noah and his family entered the ark, God shut the door and no man could enter in. And the rains came down and the flood happened and humanity, because of their rebellion, because of their rejection, and because of their pride, died in their own sin. And then he goes on and says this, By these waters and also the world at that time were delusion destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth were reserved for fire. There's coming a day where the earth will be, will be actually purified by fire. Being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. He goes on and says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. There will be many that will continue to say until that day, just like it was in the days of Noah, where is this coming in return of your God? When is Christ coming again? Now, if you have your Bibles, would you please just quickly go to Matthew chapter 24? Matthew chapter 24. That's going to be the first book of the New Testament there, and we're going to go all the way back here to the 24th chapter. Matthew 24. Jesus had not yet gone to the cross, but he was soon to be there, very shortly. And he was leaving now Jerusalem, and he would not enter the temple again. Now remember, Jesus says that I leave, your, I leave your house desolate. In other words, it's empty. Your house, the temple is going to be desolate. I will not be there. My presence will not reside there. I'm no longer there. God is not going to be and dwell in that temple. And we know that Jesus says, I leave your house desolate. How long I've, I've, I've desired to gather you like a chick, he says, under my wings. And, and he desired to do that. And and he says, as he makes his way from the temple now, crossing the Kidron Valley, going to the east, up on now the Mount of Olives, and his disciples come to him there. And this is the question they ask, because they understand that this kingdom thing that Jesus has been talking about for three years plus now, they understand about the fact that there's going to be a kingdom restored, and the kingdom of, of God is coming, and they're ready for the kingdom to come. And they ask him the question, Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming? Because he tells them, I'm going to destroy these temples here. This temple is going to be destroyed and not one stone will be left upon another. And they want to know when this is going to take place, just like you and I would want to know. And they also want to know, and the end of the age, when are you going to restore the nation of Israel? When, God, are you going to do that? And when are you going to bring this destruction that you've told us about? And Jesus goes on and says, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming that I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear, and he goes down through the list of things. And over and over he will mention to them, listen, it's not for you to know the days or the hour or the time. It's not for you to know. But you be diligent in doing what I've told you to do. And we must do that today. Just the same. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Acts right there. After John, you're going to flip over just about five books there. Acts chapter 1, we're going to just be there just for a second. 
Acts chapter 1, now we're on the other side of the crucifixion. We're on the other side of the crucifixion. We're almost 50 days, not quite 50 days, about 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus. And of course, for many of them, their, their hopes had been dashed when Christ was crucified because that was pretty evident that his kingdom was not going to happen then. But little did they know that his kingdom was going to be established uh, for a season of time in the hearts of mankind. And that God is going to basically be building for his son a kingdom full of people who love and adore the Savior. And he's going to give that to the son as an inheritance. Then you and I are going to receive the kingdom as well. It's pretty amazing that he would do this. And so as he's there visiting with him about the kingdom, he's been talking to him off and on for 40 days about the kingdom after his resurrection. And they begin to ask him some more questions. And here again in Acts chapter 1, when they met together, it says here in verse 6, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They want to know, is it ready? Is it time? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. But you, you will receive power. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says, listen, you don't need to know about the day or the time that my return is coming, but you're going to receive my spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to empower you to do what I've called you to do and sending you to do. And that is to be my witnesses to the whole world of this gospel of the kingdom. And that's what they began to do. Now, I want you to think about this here at this time, in 33 or so AD, these, these, these apostles, the disciples, wanted to know if God was going to now restore the kingdom to the nation of Israel. And why was this such a big thing? Because Ezekiel talked a lot about it. A lot of the old prophets in the Old Testament talked about the restoration of the nation of Israel. And so they were looking for that day and looking for that time. And in fact, in Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament, you're going to find that they were waiting for the Messiah to come, that this one would come and he's going to restore all things to Israel. And they're waiting for Elijah. By the way, they're still waiting for Elijah. If you talk to a Jew today, they open the door for Elijah all the time. Why? They leave it open because they're waiting for him to come because Elijah is the precursor of the Messiah. And Jesus told him, he says, if you are ready to receive this, John the Baptist is the, the Elijah who was to come. And of course, they rejected that, the nation of Israel. Why? Because many of the whole system was polluted. Now, I want you to think about this. This is incredible. We're going to go all the way back to 536 BC. So if you have your Bibles, Go all the way back with me to 536 B.C. in the book of Daniel. Go all the way back to the Old Testament book of Daniel. And we're going to pick up where we left off last week in Daniel chapter 2. <clears throat> in Daniel chapter 2. And I want you to hold your finger there. Because when I say that, that means I'm not going there yet. <laughs> but I do want you to have your finger there in Daniel chapter 2, okay? Okay. So flip over there with me to Daniel chapter 2. You're going to get to know this pasture pretty well, these different pastures of these books here as we go through here. And that's a metaphoric way of saying you're going to be able to learn more and more about navigating your way through the Word of God. It's important we are able to do that as well. 
And I want you to think about how incredible that this statement is that the disciples said. They're still waiting for the nation of Israel to be restored there in 33 AD. They, they were asking, this, this Jesus and this miracle maker, we know your God. Peter, I mean, these, they have seen all the miracles. It has been unbelievable. They're ready for the restoration of this country, this, this nation of Israel to be restored and for them to be and to rule and all those things upon the earth. And Jesus tells them it's not going to happen the way you think it's going to happen yet, but there's a day coming where it's going to be restored literally upon the face of the earth. But I'm going to be doing something in and through you called the body, the church, the body of Christ, my body. We're going to continue sharing this gospel. And my gospel is going to go throughout this whole world in order that man know that God has done all he did in order that they could be set free from the judgment of God, escape the judgment of God that they deserve, and they can be in Christ and receive the holiness, righteousness of the Son of God upon their life. And be given everlasting life and be a part of this kingdom that's coming. And so they were waiting. Now in Daniel, we're going to find that something has happened to the nation of Israel. And this is 536 BC. In Daniel chapter 2, we understand there's a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, is a literal king through history. You can study it and find out. And he was the king who came and actually, uh, if you will, besieged uh, Jerusalem. He came and he overthrew Jerusalem. And he tore down, if you will, the temple and all those things. And he takes captive those from the, the city of Jerusalem. He takes some of them with him back to Babylon. And we know that Daniel was one of them who went back as a captive in Babylon. And what's very fascinating to me is this. If you study the history of the nation of Israel, since 536 BC, the nation of Israel has not had a king. They've not had a king. There was Judah and Israel. We have Zedekiah and we have Jehoiakim. They were the last kings ever. And not until 19, May 14th, 1948, did this nation who had the judgment of God upon them by King Nebuchadnezzar in 536 BC ever rule themselves again? I want you to think about how incredible this is. That from 536... They had two kings, one for Judah, one for Israel. Zedekiah, Jehoiakim were the kings. From that point, and the wrath and judgment of God to bring Israel back to him, from that moment on, they've never had another king, and they've never had anything to do as its own sovereign country or people again until 1948. And it happened when Israel was declared its own sovereign state. Now, if you don't think that's a miracle, then you don't know much about the magnitude of what that means. That is absolutely incredible. And the disciples in AD 33-ish there were asking Jesus, are you God, the Son of God, are you now going to restore Israel? Are you going to do it now? 
And he says, listen, it's not for you to know the days, the time, or the hour the Father have set for this to take place. And Peter reminds those that scoffers were coming even in his day saying, well, where is this return of the king? When is all this going to happen? And he says, listen, scoffers are going to come. But a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day to God. And listen, he is not slow in keeping his promises, but he wishes that all would repent and come to faith. Now we've rocked along from 536 A.D. It's all historical. You can study it. And now we come all the way to 1948. Now I want you to do this. You don't have to. You want to. Anybody here alive in 1948? There's only a handful of you, right? The rest of you don't want to admit it, right? Yeah. I want you to think about how incredible this is. That God literally, from that moment, never again until 1948. Because when Jesus was upon the earth, when the Son of Man came, the incarnate Son of God came, born of the Virgin, and came at just the right time when God had purpose for him to come, listen... They were under rule of a certain nation empire. Who was it? The Roman Empire. That's who they were under rule. You remember that, that they were ruled by Caesar. That's who ruled over them. And they were under Roman rule. And they were wondering, Jesus, is it time finally that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He says, no, it's not for you to know that. And now we've been rocking along through history from A.D. 33-ish, and we rock along, and all of a sudden in 1948, boom, a country that had been dispersed had gone through a terrible thing called the Holocaust, and all that's happened to these people, millions killed throughout the history of time. And all of a sudden in 1948, God begins to draw these people to a place, a little piece of ground, dirt, in the center of the world, and he brings them back, and he says again in 1948, they're established as a sovereign state. That is incredible. That ought to perk your ears up. Only God could do this. And now in 70 years, they are one of the superpowers of the world. As far as technology goes, they're one of the top just top tiers of technology is done right there in Israel. And they say next to the United States and the Silicon Valley, they're number two in the world when it comes to all that type of stuff. Their military is not one you want to mess with. They are a military might and a military power. How does that happen in 70 years? Not only that, it is the center of all kinds of stuff going on nonstop. You don't open a newspaper and not hear about something going on in Gaza. You don't hear about it. It's constantly in turmoil. All the world is looking at Israel. Why is that? It's a sliver of a country. And if you go there today, it's, it's incredible to even be there to see what God has done. Pretty interesting. So here we are in 536 BC. Something has happened to the nation of Israel, and it had been going on for quite some time that was not pleasing to God. By the way, if God says he's going to do something, he does it. And when Jesus promised that he was coming again, he is coming again. 
And if you study Matthew chapter 24, he goes along and he shares the parable of the talents. Remember the one that got one talent? He wasn't expecting the, the, the master who had been gone for a long time to be coming back, so he didn't do anything. And God took what he had and gave it to the one with five talents, and it says he was cast out into utter darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he shares another parable right after that. It's called the parable of the ten virgins. And these are, these are parables to say, listen, better keep watching, better keep waiting, because you don't know the day that the Lord Christ is coming again. And he says there's five foolish and five wise. The five foolish ones, they're not, they were waiting for the, for the uh, bridegroom to call and for that marriage to be ready to happen. And they're waiting there. Five of them didn't keep any oil in their lamps and they weren't ready. But when the cry came out, <laughs> they were left in darkness. They weren't ready. And these parables are just parables to help us understand, listen, do not fall asleep in your generation thinking that Jesus Christ is still a long way to return. Here in 2018, dear friend, we are drawing nigh to the time. We do not know the day or the hour, but listen, you can know when a cow's about ready to give birth because there's things that begin to happen. And he gives the analogy about pregnancy and birth and so on and so forth. And he gives us that in scripture and we know when things are drawing near. Here we are in 2018. It's a credible, incredible time to be alive. But what was going on in the nation of Israel? Why is this such a big deal? Why would God exile them and do all that he did? Well, there's a reason for that. If you have your Bibles, we're going to flip back. Okay, we're going to go back to the old, further in the Old Testament. We're going to flip back one book. It's Ezekiel. And I want you to go to Ezekiel chapter 8. There's other reasons. There's a reason that God disciplined the nation of Israel. If you remember the story of the nation of Israel, God made a covenant with Abraham. He would take a man that was childless and a wife whose womb was dried up, and he was going to make a great nation out of Israel, out of, out of them. And he did. After 430 years in slavery, the 12 tribes come from the 12 sons of Judah. We know that Joseph, of course, went and his brothers, so on and so forth. They go into Egyptian slavery, and for 430 years they're in slavery, and God is building a nation for himself. And they're all tied to the pagan rituals of Egypt, the pagan system of worship, worshiping the Baals and Moloch and Chemosh and these these gods of, of Egypt. They worship that. You know, we, we go back to the pyramids and all the stuff that are part of Egypt, and we know that the nation of Israel was there, and they had all this worship going on around them, and they were worshiping these gods. And so God sends Moses, and he sends ten plagues, and they're a judgment against the gods, the primary gods of the nation of Egypt. And he proves that he is the only true God of gods. He grabs his people, and he pulls them out. But before he does, his last and final plague is the death of the firstborn. Think about how incredible this is. <laughs> All right, wake up here. Wake up. Don't miss this. Before he takes his people out of Egypt, he hardens Pharaoh's heart because he is going to prove to his chosen people that he alone is God. Think about this. And so he sends the plagues and he hardens Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh will not let the people go because God used Pharaoh for a purpose that he may be magnified among the gods and all the nations would know that he is God. Not Pharaoh, but God. 
And so he used a man by the name of Pharaoh to do what he wanted to have done. So Israel would know that there is no other God but the God that they serve. And the last thing he does is he, he gives them this to do. Get a lamb without any blemish. He must be a male, one year of age. Keep him in your home for 15 days. And on that night, you are to sacrifice that lamb, to take its blood and to wipe it on the doorpost and the frame of every home that you Israelites dwell. You are to cook the meat and eat everything. Do not leave any of it till morning. We have the body and we have the blood. Consume it all. And then that night, the angel that God sent, he went throughout the land and what did he do? Every home that did not have the blood of the lamb, he killed the firstborn. Pharaoh's son, gone. Every Israelite was spared death because of the blood and the body of the lamb. Now he did this way back in Exodus, pointing to a time where the lamb of God would come. And he would take upon himself the sin of all humanity. And God would this time not spare his firstborn. He would crucify his lamb. And his blood would pour out and cover the sin of all who are in Christ. His body was broken, beaten. It was crucified so that now when the Father comes in judgment, you and I are in Christ, covered by his blood. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's incredible. And that's all the way back in Exodus. God was pointing to a time where this sacrificial system that these Jews were doing was going to come to an end. He sends his son. His son gives his life. The eternal son of God leaves Jerusalem. He says, see that temple and all those buildings that are so beautiful that you're bragging about? I'm going to destroy it. And not one stone is going to be left upon another. And the next day, as we move through the story of this crucifixion, when Jesus Christ cried out 
Eloi, Eloi, lama thabachthani, my God, my God, why hath you forsaken me? And for three hours, the sun goes black, and the earthquake happens, and in the temple, the Holy of Holies is ripped into the tent, and you could see through the veil. And Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, bore the sin of the world. And you know what he said? No longer is there needed a priest. Because Hebrews says, I am the high priest, Jesus says. I don't have to atone for my sin because I'm sinless. I sat down at the right hand of the Father because most priests in the sacrificial system of the Jews never sat down because they weren't allowed to. He opened the Holy of Holies where the very glory of God would have been. It was empty then, by the way, because their system was so polluted and so pagan and so ridiculous. And that's why Jesus called them all the time, you brood of vipers, you white wall washed tombs. You're clean on the outside, but you're filthy on the inside. You're nothing, but you're like your father, the devil. It became so pagan and polluted. Jesus blew it open. And then in 70 AD, he did something incredible. Titus comes, the armies of, of the Roman army comes around Jerusalem, they destroy it, and they literally destroy everything there was in Jerusalem, and the temple itself is destroyed. And it is torn down because the gold and all that that melted in the fires of Jerusalem would go down in the cracks of the rocks. And boy, let me tell you something, if you know anything about gold, <laughs> you'll dig a rock up to get it. And they tore the temple all up to get the gold and silver out of the, out of the cracks that were there. And God said something else. From 70 A.D. to this very day, there's never been a temple rebuilt. Do you see how incredible God is? So they don't, they don't, they don't sacrifice anymore. But in 1948, all these years later, Israel comes on the scene again, as a sovereign nation. What is God up to? His plan. His plan. It's incredible. This is what had happened to the nation of Israel. We're going to have to cut it short again today. This is what happened to the nation of Israel. This is why God judged Israel. Listen to this. Ezekiel chapter 8. Please open your Bible there. We're going to be in verse 5. Thanks, Diana. Of course, Ezekiel was a priest, son of a priest. And he is actually speaking to those who had been exiled to Babylon. And this is what he's doing. Then he said to me, son of man, son of man God talking to Ezekiel, look toward the north. So I looked at the entrance north of the gate of the altar. And I saw this idol of jealousy. They had already set up an idol there. God hates idolatry, by the way, of any form and fashion. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? Who? The Jews. Do you see what they're doing? The utterly detestable things the house of Israel is doing here? Things that will drive me far from my sanctuary. But you will see things that are even more detestable. There was an idol set up that they were worshiping and it wasn't God. He said, do not worship. <laughs> don't bow down. Don't make any graven image. 
I know people think I'm a little weird, but I don't like pictures of Jesus because it's not Jesus. I don't care if a thousand painters or a million of the world's best artists paint Jesus. It's not Jesus. And I don't care how many ceramic things you make of Mary. It's not Mary. It's an idol. Who knows what Mary even looked like? Who knows what Jesus looks like? I don't want to give our kids a picture of what somebody thinks Jesus looks like because when I get to Revelation chapter 1, I see something of Jesus that no man has painted. (laughs) So I'm a little weird about that, but that's the way I feel about it. And so he moves on. He says, you're going to see something even more detestable than this to me. See, God hates for his people to worship anything other than him. Because the moment that I begin to worship something other than God, he's no longer my God. He's just one of them. And he's no longer my my whole worship. He becomes just a part of my worship. And so when we begin to worship other things and give certain things credence of great importance, he says, no, no, no. Let me tell you something. That cross, as great as it is, can become an idol, an idolatry of worship. The cross has been around longer by far than Jesus' cross on Calvary. In fact, Baal has a cross. So be careful that we don't worship the cross because it's not the cross we worship, it's the Christ we worship. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm not saying that we worship that, but to be honest with you, I don't worship a piece of wood. I worship a risen, resurrected Savior, the eternal Son of God. That's what I worship. Because the paganism that Constantine brought into the church, listen to me, is absolutely incredible. And evangelicalism is a stream that has flowed from that paganism and some of the things we brought with us. We need to know we don't worship anything but Christ and Christ alone. That's my, that's my worship. They had been worshiping other things and it was so detestable to God He says, listen, is it not enough for you that I gathered you as a people of my own to be different than the rest of the world? That the rest of the world would look upon you in greatness and say, wow, their God is an awesome God. And the people would be fearful as they would enter into a land knowing that God was fighting for the nation of Israel. They couldn't fight against that God. And he would smite the nations before them. He told him, do not worship any other God than me. Do not worship the sun or the moon or the stars. Don't do it. We have a lot of sun, moon, star worship in our culture. The zodiac, you don't need to read some zodiac to tell you what's going to happen in your life today. You have the word of God. I know people who live by, by, by uh, fortune cookies and zodiacs. Dude, that's crazy. He told them, don't worship the sun, moon, or stars. Don't you bow down to them. He told them in Jeremiah, don't you bow down to the obelisks. Tear your obelisks down. Tear them down. Tear down your high places. Do not go under those trees and do not worship these foreign gods. Don't set up. And on every high hill, they had set all kinds of altars. And they were worshiping all the gods of the people around them. And God was sick of this. Worshiping the obelisks. You might ask a question. He says this, do not burn incense to the queen of heaven. 
Don't do it. Don't burn incense to the queen of heaven. Do not worship at obelisks. Tear them down, he says in Jeremiah. Read through there, you'll be blown away. We have to ask some questions. Then why is one of the world's largest obelisks at the capital of our country? Why is it there? Why does the Roman Catholic Church in Vatican City, in the very center of their entire worship, sets in the middle of it, the obelisk from the Heliopolis of Egypt, why is it there? Why? If it's really about Christ and God, why do they have the sun wheel as their form of absolute adoration and the saints around the walls of Vatican City are staring into this sun wheel with the obelisk in the middle? What are they worshiping there? We gotta ask questions. Why are there sun disks around every saint? Why do they have Jesus with Mary with sun disks around him? Why do they hold up a cracker that's the shape of a sun? And on pictures, I have the sun wheel on the cracker. And they have it in a monstrous with the flames all around it. And the Pope is carrying this thing that looks just like a blazing sun. What are they worshiping? Nobody asks questions anymore. Study Washington, D.C. a little bit, and you'll ask the same question when I was there, when I rode into Washington. Why was it that the police in Virginia were helping us get there? And when we get there, the ones in Washington said, you cannot come in. Why is that? Why is it? Why is it when you look at the centerpiece of Washington, D.C., it is one of the largest obelisks in the entire world? Why is that there? If it's all about a Christian nation, and God told these people, you tear it down. And don't you burn incense to a figure that you call Mary. The queen of heaven. There's so much going on in our world, guys. I want the church, the bride of Christ, to know the truth. Pull back the veil. Look around. Jesus is coming soon. Study where the obelisks are scattered around the world. It'll tell you something. England, they got a good one there. Paris, France. Study some of these things. You're going to be blown away as you begin to learn things about what's going on in our world. It's a deception to a mighty degree. Satan, who is the god of this age, what is he? He's a deceiver. And what did Jesus tell his men in Matthew chapter 24? What did he tell them? What does he tell us? I'll tell you what he tells us. Watch out. Watch out that no one deceives you. Because a little bit of truth and a little bit of lie is a Satan said, what? 
Surely God knows that when you eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, surely you will not die. But he knows that when you eat of it, you shall be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan is a deceiver. And the church in America today is so deceived. Christian, there's one thing I hate is lies and deception. That's why you've got to have this. I apologize we didn't really get to get into the meat of this today. Maybe next week. (laughs) Maybe next week we'll get there. Why does your money have all these wax symbols on there? Why is that on there? What does it mean, the new order of the ages? What does that mean? What in the world is going on? Christian, Jesus, the King, is coming. Keep watch. Keep watch. Christian, please hear me. Put down your western horsemen and pick up the truth of God. Listen, I'm serious. We are living in times that we need to wake up. Let's pray. I'm going to have a prayer with you this morning. And we're just going to stand here in a minute and we're going to sing. And, and, and when we do, we have a lodge back over here. It's just where we have coffee, donuts, have a great time. I have our lay pastors and our elders are going to be back in there. If you need to pray about anything in your life, they're there to pray with you. If you need Christ in your life, <laughs> he's ready. He'll cast no one who comes to him away. If you need Jesus this morning, come to him. They'll be in there. You can go pray with them. But I'm going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to stand and sing along with you guys, right? Let's pray. Dear God, Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would pull back the blinders, that you would help us to see truth. And Lord, I pray that if there's been anything that's alarmed anybody today, Lord, that if you're in Christ, there's no alarm for anything. God, it's joy knowing Christ. Understanding, Lord Jesus, that what you said is true in a world that tells us there's nothing relevant about your word. (laughs) Oh, God, for us Christians, Lord, would you wake us up from our sleep Lord, make us to know the days in which we live. Help us to realize that the King is coming one day. And Lord Jesus, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you today, I pray, oh God, that you would draw them to relationship with you through the sacrifice and resurrection of your Son. Thank you for your word today. And Lord, as we sing, we sing this song to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right. Let's stand. We're going to sing a song. We'll stand and sing together. I'm kind of homesick for a country to where I've never been before. No sad goodbyes will there be spoken for time
have an awesome week.